Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. Again, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Give, uh, please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, you may be seated. Let's ask for God's blessing now in the preaching of His Word. Oh, Father, we think of what the Lord Jesus Christ so often says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Lord, we do pray that you would grant us ears to hear your word today as it is preached. For, Lord, we know that through the preaching of your word, the, the eyes of the blind are open to behold your glory. And here we have in this passage the great revelation of the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was transfigured before his disciples we ask that you would grant us the eyes of faith to be able to see this glory ourselves. For, Lord, we know that uh, the, they are truly blessed who are able to see the glory of your Son. May this blessing be ours now through the preaching of your word and to the praise of your glorious grace, O God. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, one of the things that we see uh, throughout the Bible is that God will appear to man on uh, various mountains. And if you were with us when we were going through um, Matthew chapter 15, you'll remember that this is something that, that I had pointed out, that God often will appear to uh, man on mountains. You have uh, Eden being the, the first one, Mount Ararat, Mount Sinai, uh, and various places. And there's even a promise that's given in Exodus chapter 15 which is, you remember the, the song at the sea where, uh, where Moses is singing a song in praise of God after the great exodus. And there was this promise that God will bring his people to his mountain and that he will plant them on the mountain there in a sanctuary which God himself will make. Uh, just a few chapters later 
in Exodus chapter 19, the people of God uh, come to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, and yet no one is able to, to ascend. God promised that he would meet with his people on the mountain, and yet Mount Sinai cannot be that mountain because there actually was no ability for God's people to be planted on that mountain because they would have been consumed. Here we have in what is a foretaste of the glory that every believer will have with God on the last day, we have the disciples being able to go up the mountain, to ascend the mountain, to catch a glimpse of the true glory of Christ as a, a foretaste of what everyone, everyone will experience on the last day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Now, as we think about this particular text, uh, it's important to keep in mind, if you are a Christian, you, you bear the name of Christ. You are called Christian because Christ is called Christ. And therefore, Christ is your king. We have seen how Peter has made this glorious confession uh, that Jesus truly is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if he is your king, one of the most significant things for you to understand is the glory of the one whom you serve. What is the glory of this one who is called the king? It's significant then that basically immediately after Peter makes his confession regarding, uh, regarding who the Lord Jesus Christ is, that then, then you have the revelation of this particular glory. You remember that this glory was even alluded to at the end of the, of the, the passage that we looked at last week at the end of chapter 16 where Christ himself said, Surely I, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And surely we are to understand that this passage, which comes immediately afterwards, is to be a foretaste of the glory of that kingdom. We looked last week that there are other, uh, other significant things that happen that could be taken as, that, uh, as Christ coming in his kingdom, and yet this cannot be excluded from the meaning. This is the revelation, part of the revelation of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And important further to keep in mind the connection with, with last week, you remember that Christ saying that some will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God coming, the Son of Man coming in His kingdom, was the confirmation of the wisdom of you yourself picking up your cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ. Why, why should you heed the gospel call? A lot of reasons were given last week, but all of them are confirmed by the revelation of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, the idea is, if Christ really is as glorious as the way in which he is described in this text, then the only wise thing to do is, in fact, to pick up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is something that is foundational. You think of, of uh, the ways which we can talk about, you know, the Bible being practical and uh, us thinking about very, very minutely what we should do in this or that situation. But actually the most practical thing, the thing that will impact your daily decisions more than anything else is understanding the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those, those who understand the glory of Christ they, they are the, those who naturally will want to give everything uh, for, uh, for him. Uh, the Apostle Paul teaches, spe uh, speaks of this, uh, not just with regard to the, uh, what, what the disciples saw on the mountain, but even for all of us. For he says, for it is the God who, commands, who, who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face 
of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the glory that has been revealed and is revealed in this particular text. And in light of that, we will look at this, this text under four headings, all related to Christ's glory. Uh, his glory is revealed in verses 1 and 2. We see in verses 3 and 4 that it exceeds all others. We see in verses 5 and 6 that Christ's glory is attested by the Father. And then, as part of His grace, uh, for a time, the glory is concealed in verses 7 and 8. And so look at me again as we consider uh, verses 1 and 2 and the, the, the glory that is revealed. Now, uh, as I noted in the beginning, uh, this is related to, an, to a, a, a mountaintop experience, you could say. Uh, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain by themselves. And you'll know that in Psalm 15, the question is asked, who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? And here the answer is given, uh, that at least here in, the, in this particular context, that Peter, James, and John are chosen for this glorious privilege. Uh, the, the mountain of God theology, as we have seen, is a, uh, is a, a theology whereby we, we, we recognize that God makes himself known on the mountain. And one of the things that we see all throughout Matthew's gospel is that uh, many of the climactic things that happen occur on mountains. Uh, Christ goes up on a mountain to, to teach in the, the Sermon on the Mount. He goes up on a mountain to pray after the death of, of John the Baptist. He goes up on a mountain to heal very many people in Matthew chapter 15. Here he goes up on a mountain and is transfigured. And we will see at the end of the gospel, he goes up on a mountain to give the great commission and to send forth the, uh, the church for uh, the glorious mission of bringing all the nations in. Uh, one of the things that we find, though, throughout these mountains is that in Matthew's gospel, all of them are unnamed. None of the mountains ever are given a name. We're never told which mountain Christ goes up. And the reason for this is because uh, the mountain is the mountain of God, not because of its name, like in the Old Testament, where there is the Mount Sinai, there is Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, so on and so forth. But in Matthew's gospel, the mountain of God is simply whatever mountain Christ is on because Christ is the glory of God. The, the mountain is significant because the glory descends on the mountain, but any mountain where Christ is, is where the glory of God has descended. And so here, Christ takes his, his disciples up onto the mountain and they see the glory of God. They see Christ transfigured before them. His face is shining like the sun. We are told in verse 2, his clothes become white as light. He is radiating so much light and glory that even his clothes appear to change color because of the brightness of the light. Uh, now, if you, are, um, if you are keeping up with things that, that are happening in, in the skies, you'll know that uh, uh, pretty recently there was an and if you've ever seen an eclipse, you'll know that you have to have special glasses to see it uh, unless it's a complete and total eclipse. And the reason is because even if the moon is blocking off even 98% of the sun, it is still so bright that you cannot look at it. You cannot look directly at it and you have to have special glasses. The glasses are so dark that if you wear them in any other context, you can see nothing except for, except for the sun. And this is the way in which the Lord Jesus Christ is being described here. He is so bright that he is radiating out so much light that it can only be compared to, uh, to the sun itself. Christ, like the Father, is shown here to be the one who dwells in unapproachable light. 
or as the author to the Hebrews says, he is the one who radiates the glory of God, who is the exact imprint of his being. This is the glory that the disciples see when they see the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ transfigured before, uh, before them. And um, if you think about the way they respond, it surely is the only way that anyone would ever respond. If you saw a person who looks just like a normal man, which was the way the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to us. He, he comes in the form of, 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 a, of a normal man. He, as, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he took on the, the form and appearance of, of a servant. He takes on that appearance, and then you see that man transfigured in such a way that now he is shining so brightly that you cannot even look at him. You can't even look at him because of the surpassing greatness of this light. Surely, the only way in which you would ever respond, anyone would ever respond, is in complete terror. And that is exactly what we see with Peter, James, and John. Uh, they, are, they, they see this, and it is completely overwhelming to them. And we, we see even further that in verses 3 and 4, that not only does Christ appear by himself, but also there are two others that appear with him. Uh, Moses and Elijah appear with Christ. Now, in Matthew's gospel, we're not told anything about what they are talking about. In Luke's gospel, we are told that they are speaking with the Lord Jesus Christ about, about the Exodus in particular. And you could just imagine, uh, if, if all that Peter, James, and John saw were Moses and Elijah, that would have been an amazing thing to see. They go up on a mountain and they see Moses and Elijah there before them. Uh, these are two of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament who worked such great signs and wonders and through whom God so richly displayed his glory. And uh, they are here now in this mountain. Now, the question needs to be asked, why Moses and Elijah? Why are Moses and Elijah in particular uh, appearing with the Lord Jesus Christ on the mountain? Well, uh, this is one of the ways in which uh, we see the connection between this mountain of God experience, so to speak, and others, particularly Mount Sinai. Both Moses and Elijah uh, uh, saw the glory of God in some way descend upon Mount Sinai, and they were with they were able to ascend the mountain and to be with God in that situation. And there are actually a number of connections between this experience and, uh, and Mount Sinai. Uh, the, the relationship with Moses and Elijah is, is only one. You'll notice that Peter thinks that the appropriate response is to build them three tents, or even as it is translated here, uh, without any problem, uh, tabernacles. Uh, the idea is that the glory of God appeared on Mount Sinai. The, the appropriate response, the very next thing that happened was that there was a tabernacle built for God. And now uh, Peter is recognizing that there's something of a similar impulse that they were to have. This glory is so overwhelming that we, we cannot endure it. There, there must be a, a tabernacle, some kind of tent that is set up, and the glory can then appear in the tent. But, it, but, but if it appears to all of us as it is, we, we are going to be, uh, we are going to be uh, consumed. The point is that the, the, that, that the description of Christ on the mountain is meant to point back to Mount Sinai. Christ's transfiguration is like God appearing to his people on the mountain. However, you'll notice that there is actually a problem uh, with what Peter is saying. And that is that Peter is inherently comparing the glory of Moses and Elijah to that of Christ. He is not saying, let us make one tent for you and Moses and Elijah can join us in the tent in the worship of you. He's actually saying, let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You'll, you'll remember that when, when the glory appeared on Mount Sinai, the, the 
the result was that only one tent was made. And there is implicitly this suggestion that the glory of Moses and Elijah is on par with the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And yet, of course, this could be, couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, this is, however, the... Um, the, the, it's, it's important to, to, to recognize this, this kind of gut reaction is something that is something we see in the New Testament whenever uh, God's, even God's servants appear in a, a way that's a foretaste of the glory of the resurrection um, and will be true of all of us on the last day, that there will be such a glory that we have as a result of receiving the, the new bodies at the resurrection that the rest of creation would be tempted to worship us if they didn't know better. And that is actually what is happening here with Moses and Elijah. And yet, if we think about the way in which Moses appeared before God and Elijah appeared before God, we're clearly meant to see that there is a similarity here. And yet there is one crucial and enormous difference. And that is that whenever you think about God's servants and the glory they appear to exude, they are always reflecting the glory of another. We see this particularly with Moses. Moses comes into the presence of this glory in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, and he has to even veil his face. The people of God cannot even see even Moses without his face being veiled, we are told. That's from the glory that appeared on Mount Sinai, that same glory cloud. Elijah appears, uh, uh, sees the glory, the, the same glory. And we're not told anything about Elijah having to, to, to veil his face. But the point is that uh, that. The, the veiling of Moses' face was done because Moses was not like the sun. He was like the moon. He was reflecting the light that came from another source. It wasn't inherent within his own being. However, if you were to ask, where is the source of the glory in this text? Where is the glory cloud and the fire that has come down? It is none other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what, what makes it so, so, so different. This, is, this is, would be another argument for the deity of Christ, that when the glory of God appeals on, uh, appears on the mountain in the transfiguration, it is not a different glory. It is merely Christ revealing his own glory. And when that glory is revealed, then, then the recognition is that this glory must have some sort of tabernacle. There, there, must be, there must be something just like God dwelling in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Mo the point is that Christ's glory far exceeds the glory of Moses and Elijah, who could only ever... And, and if you think about anyone who's ever been on the mountain of God, so to speak, in the Old Testament, they could only ever radiate the glory of another. But Christ himself here is showing himself to be the source of that glory. Or again, as the author of the Hebrew says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The point is, is that on the basis of this text, what we could say is that Christ's glory is unlike anyone else's. Moses is faithful in all of God's house as a servant. Christ is over the house as a son. They are not, they are simply not in the same category. Moses and Elijah both bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. His glory exceeds that of all others. And even further, this glory is confirmed by the Father himself, who in verse 5 says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, as you think about this, this cloud of light that comes in verse 5, here again, we are seeing something that is very similar to Mount Sinai. The cloud comes down and you recognize that the cloud, it's related to, to God's revelation and manifestation uh, that, that, that he 
uh, that, that he gave to the people in, on, on Mount Sinai. One of the things that you'll note about the Old Testament is that hearing a voice from heaven is extremely rare. It is incredibly rare. Moses and Elijah on Mount Sinai were two examples of those who heard that voice. And here now they are again on the mountain hearing the voice of God again. On, uh, in Exodus chapter 19, God's people appeared at Mount Sinai and they heard the voice from heaven thunder forth the Ten Commandments that we might know of God's justice, the requirements of His law, the requirements of His covenant that He was making with His people. But now, rather than speaking of the law, the same voice from heaven is declaring the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come to bear witness of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, brothers and sisters, if you, could, if you can think about just how rare the voice of God coming from heaven is, the conclusion would naturally lead you to say, when whatever that voice says has to be of the utmost importance in terms of a message to be received. And here we are told the God who will share his glory with no other decides to have his voice heard, the Father's voice from heaven, declaring, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. The Father attests to the greatness of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good confession that was made by Peter, and now it is confirmed by God himself. You'll notice as well, the message is quite short and yet comes even with its own application. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What is the only possible conclusion that can be drawn if this is true? What is the only proper response? The answer is, listen to him. It is not fitting to declare that you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God and who has this kind of glory. And then to say, when he commands something, I do not yield immediate obedience. If, if the king is like this, if, if this is the glory of your king, then surely the, the only proper response to such a king would be to obey, to obey immediately. And notice in the, in the context of the, of the flow of thought of, of chapter 16 coming into chapter 17, that the, that, that, the, that the most recent command that the Lord Jesus Christ has given is pick up your cross and follow him. Remember, there's a, even a connection between this, this text and the one that comes before it. Pick up your cross and follow him. This is the call of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, see that you do not refuse it. In him is the forgiveness of sins and every blessing imaginable. He calls you to himself, even, even in this calling, knowing that there is a, that there is, it is a calling of suffering. But there is also a promise that if you suffer for him, you will be, in fact, the heir of the world. That, that is the offer of the gospel, and it is something that must be obeyed, obeying the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, as we think about passages like this, it can be easy to think, well, you know, if I were Peter, James, or John, uh, then I, I would have the strongest faith imaginable. Who, who, could, who could possibly deny God if they have heard the voice of God born from heaven? Who, who could possibly say, I've heard this voice, now I'm not going to obey? Surely, surely if I had that experience, then my faith would be stronger. Brothers and sisters, amazingly, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter actually recounts uh, what 
what, what he experienced when he went up upon the mountain. It's an amazing thing as we have in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, an actual recounting from one of the eyewitnesses who is there, uh, what he is to conclude, what, what he was thinking about with regard to the message of the gospel. You know, he, he speaks about, you know, we, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when, when we spoke to you the words of life, but we were, we were with him on the majestic mountain. He's just, this is Peter speaking about the transfiguration. We were there, is what he says. We heard the majestic voice, voice born from heaven. As he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then, though Peter says something that is uh, quite surprising in 2 Peter chapter 1, he then says, but you have the, the prophetic word, the Bible, which is even more confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to, to heed as a light shining in a dark place. He says, listen, I heard the voice born from heaven. And you may think that you've got less than that because you, you're not able to, 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 to hear such a voice. Um, it's, it's incredibly rare to hear the, the voice of God from heaven. It's not something that is wise to seek out. In fact, all of those who ever heard that voice begged that it would never be heard again. But then what did God do? He then gave us the word of God, the Bible. And he says, this word, this word is the same as, and even in some way, more confirmed than the, war, the voice of God that was born from heaven. What Peter says is, I heard the voice from heaven, and what you should hear is this word in the scriptures, as it attests to so the same thing that, of, as the voice that was born from heaven attested to, which is the glory of, of the Son of God. This is the words, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that have been given. And we are to listen to him by obeying that very word of God. Brothers and sisters, we have not heard the voice from heaven in the same way. And yet we have been given the same word, which, which Peter says is sufficient to us to build up our faith and to, to reveal the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, again, the disciples are terrified. They respond in the only uh, way that anyone could possibly respond if they were to, to hear these things and to see these things. They've seen Christ miraculously transfigured before them. They have seen the appearance of Moses and Elijah. They've heard this voice come down from heaven, and they fall to the ground in absolute terror in, the, in the, giving the response that everyone has always given who has heard the voice of God thunder from heaven. It has always been the same, the voice of absolute terror. And it is then that we read in verses 7 and 8 that Jesus comes and he touches them and says, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they lift up their eyes, they see no one but Jesus only. The cloud is gone. The voice from heaven is quiet. Moses and Elijah have disappeared. Seeing only Jesus clearly implies that, that Christ is no longer uh, shining and radiating like the sun. He has gone uh, back to this, his normal uh, uh, form and, and figure of, of being uh, what, what appears to be just a lowly man. Christ's glory was revealed, and yet now the glory is concealed. And uh, this leads to the question of why. You know, why, why would there be this revelation? And then why would there be this subsequent uh, uh, concealing again? And, and I just would ju ju uh, just remind you, brothers and sisters, that this is the way it always works. Because we, in our current state, are unable to bear the brightness of that glory. And this is something 
that was recognized all throughout, the, all throughout redemptive history. The people of God at Mount Sinai begged that they would never hear the words spoken to them like that again. This is the reason why there were prophets. This is the reason today why there are preachers. What, what, why does God not just speak directly to us today? Why does he appoint someone like me who, like everyone else, just appears to be this, a normal person? I'm not radiating. My face is not shining. The answer is, is because God has accommodated himself to your weakness in his grace and in his loving kindness to you. He knows you cannot bear that voice in that way. You cannot see those sights in that way currently without being consumed. Therefore, he gives you a messenger to speak the words on his behalf. He, he gives it to you that you might be able to hear those words, which are in, in this sense then still spiritually and truly born from heaven. It is, it is born from heaven in a way that you can receive it. It is therefore, brothers and sisters, uh, it is easy to despise preaching. It's easy to despise the, the, the apparent plainness of the word of God. It's easy to look at Christ and to say he has no former majesty that we should desire him. And yet, brothers and sisters, that thing which is so despised is actually the showcasing of God's great love and grace and mercy. It is the only way that you can receive the message. And God has deemed that through the foolishness of preaching, that the wisdom of God might be manifested in this way. Uh, brothers and sisters, when the world looks at the Lord Jesus Christ, the world sees only a regular person. And the Apostle Paul even, for a time, thought this of the Lord Jesus Christ before he was converted. He speaks in 2 Corinthians 5 of regarding the Lord Jesus Christ according to the flesh. He says, you know, we, we did that once, and now we do so no longer. There are many who look at Christ, they'll look at the church, they'll look at all these things that appear to be mean and in insignificant, and they will say, you know, there's just no outward glory, there's just no majesty. Uh, but, and and there was, they, they say, you know, if there really was this glory, then why would it be concealed? If it's concealed, maybe because it's not really there. Uh, that, that, is, that is what is being said, that there really is no, there's no real glory here to these things. But brothers and sisters, do not be tempted to think that this meekness is actually uh, uh, real weakness. It is merely the, the demonstration of great love. Do not regard Christ according to the flesh. He appeared once in this lowly form to have no outward majesty that we should desire him. He will appear the second time in the full weight of his glory. The purpose of this text is to show, give a foretaste of what that glory will be like. And in that day, all of those who truly believe in Christ, we will be transfigured so that we ourselves would be able to bear that glory, to, 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 to see it without being consumed. And that, brothers and sisters, will be the height of true blessing. Before that day comes, though, recognize that the one who speaks, though he appears lowly and insignificant to the rest of the world, that this one, by the transfiguration and so many other things that he did, we know, is in fact the Son of God, who is attested to by the Father. And therefore, before the day comes, may God grant you the grace to hear him, to listen to him, to obey him. May God grant you the eyes to see his glory and the ears to hear 
his message with humble hearts of obedience, that you might gain even yourself a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do praise you and glorify you as we consider the greatness of your Son, that he is, he is the one who truly is worthy of all worship. Lord, we think of, of texts like this and how thankful we are for, for your wisdom in, in the revelation of your Son revealing his glory in a foretaste that we might know who he truly is, and yet even in grace, concealing the full brightness of that glory out of grace and kindness to us. Help us to see, O oh Lord, these two things held together so wondrously that you are a God unfathomably great, transcendent, O oh Lord, in glory, and yet who condescends in loving kindness to be with his people in grace and love, atoning for our sins, forgiving us of our wickedness and rebellion, justifying us in your son, and on the last day transfiguring us that we might uh, catch even a, a, a fuller glimpse of that glory and might have fellowship with you on the mountain, so to speak, which will be uh, in that day covering the whole earth. How, how thankful we are for the brightness and the radiance of the glory of your Son. Give us the eyes of faith to see it today, that we might not regard your Son according to the flesh. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight, seeing his glory and rendering to him the obedience that is due to him. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. 
May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.